Hello there, listeners, and welcome to February. February. I've immediately dated the podcast by saying the month that it's in. But welcome. You know where you are. We're in the second month. It's the 9th of of Feb. (laughs) 9th of Feb in this strange year we're still having. Um, Well, George, I realise it's nearly been an entire year since I last got on an airplane. Um, it's a really well. Wow. Yeah, which which probably hasn't happened in over a decade. I imagine a year without me getting on a plane. Um, so that's my life. You can imagine. I've been I've been super spreading all year. Really, I've been back and forth. You've been hopping over the pond and back uh, with all your grubby pond water, <laughs> leaking God knows what over in over in America. Um, no, George, George has followed all protocols and rules. Um, Clean as a whistle. He moved for work, so there you go. Um, well, uh, we're here because we did get through January and we actually have come to the end of our 30-day challenge that we sort of discussed uh, on our episode probably three or four ago now. We talked about some habits that we wanted to implement and the, the idea of them was we wanted modest habits uh, that we could actually do. It wasn't trying to do New Year's resolutions. It was saying, what about for a month? What's something we could actually take on and realistically do? Uh, I think we had about three or four each. Um, well, I guess we'll go through the scorecard of how we did. So the first one on mine was to write 10 articles on our site. Uh, I said that I have been implementing this 300-day-a-word habit, which I've been talking about on Instagram uh, as part of the 300 Club, which lots of people are joining and doing, which is great. Good, good, good uh, question about that, Steve. You've been sharing your word of the day every day. Is I your have. 300 words just you listing 300 independent words that you quite like? Is that um, it? It's just a it, big list of vocab. If I struggle, I just copy out the dictionary and call it, call it a day there. Start with the A's and crack yeah. on. Um, that probably teach me a lot of words, to be fair. Um, yeah, so the idea is just I get 300 words done in whatever form that happens to be. Obviously, it's great if it can be for a substantial project, but I try to just make it the practice of actually doing. I find if I commit to the 300 words, I start to you know, shift to the tasks that are important anyway, or sometimes I get a lovely blog post done. Um, Had you been using this technique before January or is this something new that you started? I've often had daily word counts. Um, I actually realized it was better to set, sometimes I set them a lot higher and I actually realized it was psychologically a lot better to set it lower and you kind of lower the the bar, the activation energy to sit and do it because you could realistically say, I'll spend 15 minutes doing 300 words. If you know you've got to do like 800, you kind of think, oh, I've got to block off like an hour to really get yeah. get down to that. So I kind of go for momentum. And it's been very effective for that, um, for the consistency. Um, so, I, uh, so I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, 10. Did I get 10? One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. Okay, so I so there's actually nine articles on there, George. Failure. Uh, whoa! I thought I actually thought it was ten. I'm confused. I'll check that. Um, 
I guess it might be. Um, count, count, so, count it again, Steve. Count it again. That's good radio, <laughs> isn't it? Um, well, there you go. For that one, that says nine out of ten. I think that might be wrong because I feel like one might have slipped through the net there. But um, you know what? That's a victory I'll, in my eyes, Steve. I'll take. I'll take that. That's that's nearly in thirty days. That's nearly ten articles on it's the blog, good ass, isn't it? It's as good. Nine's as good as ten. And that's and that's extracurricular from my normal work as well. So I'm. I'll, I'll take that as a as a near nearly win. Um, yeah. So tick on that one. My other one was moisturize every day. <laughs> oh yeah, my favorite. Now this one weirdly turned out to be one of the harder ones, George. How <laughs> <laughs> so? I don't know what that says about my lethargic life in lockdown. Um, no, I. You know what? I got. I'd say I got it. I moisturized about seventy percent of the days of the, of, body. of the thirty days of the body. Yeah, um, I pr- I probably did about seventy percent, and the other thirty percent, I I just didn't think about it, or I thought I'll do that before bed. I didn't, and you know what? I bet an, an excuse is that obviously there's nothing to really get dressed and go out for. So having a routine of getting showered and getting you know your day up and running. It's probably not normal at the moment anyway. So I can see why that would slip. Yeah, I I don't... Well, I said I'd do it as a morning ritual and I've ended up sometimes it's a nightly one before bed is like the more appropriate time. But yeah, it just... It was one of those small ones that was like harder... It's like flossing if you don't floss so much. Like actually making yourself do it is actually harder than you think. I, I'll take 70% more moisturizing in my life it's definitely a win. It's a win. It's not, yeah. it's not, I've not quite, I've not quite ingrained the habit yet. Uh, supposed to take 30 days to ingrain it, but I'm getting there. Um, so yeah, that, that's all I can, I can take for that is a 70% win. All I had to do is put some cream on my face. Um, <laughs> it was just the face, is it as well? Just, not... just the face. Wow. Um, sometimes just weave a bit into the hands while I'm doing it. You know, it's winter. They get a bit like, cracked and dry but you make it out as if you've got rugged workman's hands when i don't type in 300 words a day you're not not (laughs) down the pit when i don't moisturize now i feel my face sometimes a day and go oh it's really dry i've really (laughs) got moisturized like a bit of old desiccated coconut yeah um so okay 70 percent on that one now the yoga sessions i did I did do the yoga sessions. I set the bar low on that one, to be fair. I said like four yoga sessions. I did about five or six. Um, that was actually that was actually the obviously the writing is important and I do that anyway, but that was actually sort of the one where I felt this is a necessary change in my life I need to add this flexibility in. And I actually when I was doing it, I was like, this is great. It, but it sometimes took some massive effort to actually at the, the moment where you actually are going to give up like 40 minutes of your day to do yoga. Like I said, like I always think, well, I'd rather just, you know, do some actual exercise, like sweat or like, I know yoga can be exercise obviously, but like, I just think, well, I should lift some weights or run or do a bike. Mm. It's, it's very hard to psychologically go, Oh, I'm going to do some yoga now and some poses and stretching and that sort of thing. It almost feels more to me when I've, ever futilely attempts it. it feels more like a recovery thing so you need to almost justify that process right it's like oh i should do it after i've played a game of football or after i've done a long run not yeah yeah of, and and it's which is a mindset problem 
And sometimes it's super tough if you do a hard session, but it's just psychologically, I don't, I don't treat it as workout in my mind, like mm. that sort of thing. But, um, but every time I did it, I was like, oh, this is great. I should definitely be doing this more. Um, and so that was actually one that I am really glad to have put in there. Um, the, uh, the final one, and I did do this, George, was to read the first novel of A La Recherche de Tante Perdue by Marcel Proust. And I did read the first Proust. It was spectacular. Um, I was actually... It's really really good, isn't it? Yeah, I I was... Obviously, people say it's a masterpiece and and he's one of the most celebrated writers of the 20th century, but but the actual... The 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 on-the-sentence-level you know, wordsmithing is absolutely spectacular. The, the sort of, you know, description of consciousness, the sort of inner philosophy, it, it's very much negligible what the actual events are. They're often mm-hmm. quite small. Maybe they describe someone's sort of love affair or unrequited love or, you know, talking about his neighbor or whatever. But the actual psychological depth of it and the, uh, just sort of breathtaking sentence after breathtaking sentence. It was one of those things where I was just like blown away and intimidated and sort of one of those writers who makes you wonder how they're actually doing that. Um, well, he does it six more times. And, and he's, he's done, <laughs> how many pages is it? 4,000? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's seven volumes. Um, but um, yeah, if, you, if for those of you who don't know, it's like a six volume, seven volume kind of, masterwork uh a lot about a lot based on his own life but parisian society and um things like that but it's again the the events are a fairly much it's not really it's not a plotted sort of novel a traditional novel is it um it's uh kind of digresses and meanders and goes you know just just lots of heady description but absolutely fantastic psychology it's to be savored right it's like <laughs> If you're not looking for plot driven, you've got the kind of time to yeah savor it or like languor in the great sort of headiness of the prose. It is one to really like immerse and indulge in. Yeah, yeah, and sort of the argument for like prose as poetry, and that you know people who write prose as well as that, it's like well that is poetry. <laughs> it's uh... and it's definitely one of those books. If you come to it with slightly the wrong attitude, like we've said plenty of times before, for trying to up your reading, if you pick the the right book at the wrong time or you know that can throw you off and it's not one to to start at the wrong time and get thrown by because then you think on the seven more it's really boring but if you're in the right mood and it captures you then you're in for an absolute treat yeah and i full confession i've i've probably tried several times to like get that first book done Mm. and have just always been tempted by other novels or never been in, like you say, in the right mood for it. I've I've been looking for something else and it kind of now hit at the right moment. And sometimes you read those things and think, why didn't I read this years ago? But yeah, sometimes just a book's moment comes for you. And uh, Well, I've had, so I've read two and a half of them and I stopped halfway through the third because I was reading it at the wrong time. Like I was on a sort of weekend break in France thinking, oh, this will be perfect. But it was quite an active trip and it's quite, it just wasn't the right mood to be reading it. And I sort of let it slide now and I've not picked that back up for about three or four years. So I'm hoping you doing it gives me the kick I need to take it on at the right time and carry on with it. 
Yeah, I also picked up a really slim biography of Proust by Edmund White, and it was really good for giving some, uh, just some context and even just hearing about some of the composition of the novel. Like, like Proust lived sort of this, like, like he was, he ha- he had quite like he was quite like a social character in Parisian society, sort of as a younger man, and at some point he he's quite unusual as a sort of writer in that. He he did writing in his youth, but not kind of as seriously and, and, you know, quite as dedicated. And there was sort of an age in his sort of late-ish 30s where he r- really decided, like, I, you know, I there's a sort of grand novel that I want to write and, you know, got more and more and more sucked into it and sort of became more and more, like, less sociable, more reclusive, more obsessed with this enormous thing he was writing and i think even only the definitely all of them didn't come out before he died i think only even maybe the first two Mm. first two maybe volumes uh which i think were praised when they when they came out but he didn't live for them all to even uh be published but yeah it's uh it's quite fascinating how um yeah just seeing the trajectory of his life with it so yeah very good are you going straight into the second one or are you having a pause? I, I'm i going to have a palate cleanser novel. Um, I am actually reading that, um, still not light fare, but The Master and Margarita by Bulgakov. Oh, yeah. Uh, about the devil in Soviet Russia. So not not breezy, but, um, you know, I'm trying, I told you, I'm trying to tackle more big classics this year. And, and it shall be done. So what about your habits, old Bean? Um, oh. what um cave under your armpits. Uh what were they? Talk 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 that. to your talk to your wife once a day. Okay. Where does this come from? <laughs> uh, I'm jostling. You are, you are. Uh the first one, Steve, I would I would say the one I that took me the most effort to get cracking on and that I was ple- really pleased that I did was exercise. It was to run and use the exercise bike every day. Um, I was able to do it for 20, I think 21 or 22 days in January. And then I pulled a muscle in my side and had to stop. So um, it, it turned out I'd been running in the wrong trainers. So I was getting a lot of like calf strain and it affected my side, but um, I've now not run for the last nearly two weeks and I'm kind of itching to get back out there. I've bought better footwear and stuff. So um, yeah, the fact that it's making me look forward a little bit more to doing it than when I first started and I was absolutely dreading it has been really good. So in the sense of like habit forming, it, it feels like quite a win because doing it absolutely every day is not really viable longer term, but just having the itch to do it, you know, a couple of days a week or maybe three or four days a week will be a really big win, especially if I've got the right trainers to run in and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, all, all the will was there, but an injury and also about three feet of snow have kind of scuppered my ability to follow through on that completely. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, in a habit sense, that's been a really positive one. Um the other the other one that also scuppered by snow was some road tripping so I, I planned some road trips i think i said i wanted to plan some sort of drives and sort of adventures while we're here and while things aren't really in lockdown but again the roads have been closed we've had lots and lots of snow where we are so the planning has been done but the actual inaction of those plans yet to happen um yeah that they were the they were the kind of two 
more accessible well not more accessible ones two of the ones that kind of got there but didn't quite come all the way through but the one i achieved and succeeded in steve was one that's been on my agenda for ages which was to have seen all of the best picture winning oscar films for i think i said to myself the year 1950 onwards so january essentially broke down into me watching lots of musicals that i've spent the rest of my life avoiding and hate hating most of them to be honest Wait, so have you now watched every Best Picture winner? Since 1950. 1950. Wow. So I think, I, I think it started in 1928. I think the first few films maybe were even silent films uh, or shorts. Um, I've seen a few of the earlier ones, but they're not, not, I don't think they're great. I don't think there's anything seriously significant that I'm missing out on. But 1950 onwards kind of feels like the start of conventional cinema a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's about 70, 70-ish films, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 70 films. I mean, obviously, some of them I've seen years and years ago. I didn't watch every one of them again, but I watched all the ones that I hadn't seen. Um, yeah, and as a result of that, I think, I guess, for this podcast, I've put together a little kind of a best worst and a hidden gem chart for each of the decades from oh. the 50s to now which oh, I yeah, maybe funny. we could sink sink our teeth in, our teeth into I don't know what that was <laughs> our, our tusks <laughs> tu- get our tusks in there um I w- yeah I would I would love to hear this I mean I mean we can go through it I mean how many of them would what have you seen the majority of them two thirds uh, of them oh uh, I I, well, there's definitely going to be ones I've missed for sure. Um, oh, there's oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of tripe out there as well. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm getting them up on Wikipedia so I can see what is on each decade. But yeah, kick me off with your uh, perfect. Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm pulling out a lot of films I've seen a long time ago, as well as things I've seen recently. But starting with the fifties. For that decade, I would say the best of those films is Bridge on the River Kwai. I think that's probably, all things considered, the pick of the 1950s. Um, and without a doubt, that decade has what I would I would say is the worst ever best picture winner. It's the oh. greatest show on earth. It was absolutely abysmal. I think it won in 1953, 54. It's got Charlton Heston in it, and it is is hands down a piece of propaganda for the circus industry. I think it was funded by the, who's the big circus, like not Ringling Brothers, one of Barnum Circuses. They oh, essentially, yeah, the, yeah. the film just follows a circus on its kind of season moving through city to city in the US. And then there's some really ham-fisted drama about some warring trapeze artists. It's, it's hokum, it's atrocious. It's a terrible thing to watch. Um, really, really bad, badly made, tacky, no real sense of drama. I mean, who enjoys the circus at the best of times? It just looked like animal exploitation for fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was nonsense. Surprisingly, it's the film Steven Spielberg said was the film that made him want to become a director. There's a huge train crash in it. And he said that was the, the action scene that made him want to be a director. And it's the train crash he recreated in that Super 8 film that J.J. Abrams directed, or he helped bring that right. together, I think. But terrible. Avoid it at all costs. I would say that's the worst. There's a couple of other duds, but that is the worst Best Picture winner that I can think of, for sure. I, um, I'm looking at the poster, and it says, the most dangerous place in the world for lovers to meet. And it shows <laughs> people on a trip. Uh, I mean, how many people does that apply to, Steve? Let's be honest. <laughs> Meeting up on a trapeze. 
Wow. No, well, you said rubbish. that. Well, I, I mean, I'd say I would like to see it for posterity, but maybe not. Um, oh, I struggled to prove it. Bridge on the River Kwai, I'm looking. It says it's Warren Buffett's favourite film. So I think Spielberg lost on that one. And Buffett's (laughs) Buffett's up one. (laughs) Yeah, let's see how their head-to-head goes through the rest of the (laughs) weekend. My hidden gem for the 1950s was one I watched a couple of weeks ago that I didn't really have any expectations for, but thought it was absolutely wonderful. It's Marty. I think that one in 1958. It's Ernest Borgnine, uh, who you may know from the Simpsons episode, Boy Scouts in the Hood. Um, and he's a kind of schlubby, middle-aged, sort of no-hoper butcher living in, I think, Brooklyn or Queens, um, sort of struggling with his love life. And it follows him over a weekend and meets a woman and it kind of follows their their initial meetings, really. Um, really well acted, really poignant, quite funny. It's like a lighter-hearted brief encounter, if anyone's seen Brief Encounter, which you should if you haven't. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was just a very fresh and engaging film that I didn't have high hopes for and was very pleasantly surprised by. I doubt many people have seen it. I would encourage them to do so. Um, That's cool. Interesting. I don't know that film at all. Um, Yeah, I'll look that up. All right, what about the 60s then? We're going to swing into the 60s. I would say, all things considered, the best film of the best picture-winning films of the 60s is Lawrence of Arabia. It just is kind of archetype epic Hollywood film. Um, Beautifully acted, beautifully directed, incredible cinematography, great story, very poignant. It it just kind of, it's one of those legacy films that sort of deserves its its credit and plaudits, really. So that, that, I would say, is my best and my hidden gem for the 60s would be A Man for All Seasons, the adaptation of the stage play about uh, Henry VIII and Sir Thomas More and their kind of dramatic mm. wrestling with theological issues and the, the church's kind of situation under Henry VIII and his decision to marry, remarry. Um, it's just beautifully acted. If you were into the novel Wolf Hall or the TV series Wolf Hall, the same setting, the same characters and cast, but in a slightly more thes- more thespian take on it, I suppose it's it feels more like a play. I think the play was by Robert Bolt. Um, really well acted. Who's in it? I, this is one I watched a while ago, so I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, I'm just seeing Paul Schofield, Wendy Hiller, Orson Welles is in it. Yeah, Wells. Wells is really dialing it up to eleven. Oh, Wosey, um, he's Cardinal Wosey. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's like a feast for the eyes if you're into kind of sumptuous London summery Thames setting in a nice palace. You're in for a real treat with that. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't think that's a super highly seen film. So I would recommend that from the from the sixties films as a kind of underwatched good one. The worst one for me personally, which may be contentious for a lot of people listening, but. Now, The Greatest Show on Earth was the objectively the worst of the films, but this was maybe my least favourite viewing experience. They're slightly different. I absolutely hated, with a passion, Steve, West Side Story. I despised it. Well, now this one I knew because George immediately texted me. <sighs> uh, texted me rants just furiously into my inbox uh, saying how, how much tripe West Side Story was. And you know what? This is another negative to Spielberg again because a he's remaking it, 
this year or next year and he said it was like the first musical soundtrack he ever had in the house as a family and he like fell in love with the music of the cinema so Spielberg's really plummeting in my estimations <laughs> I mean there's, um, there's better music than West Side Story Steve I hated it I hated everything about it I don't know who is it for children are adults supposed to respond to it thinking oh those finger clicking guys are cool cats I, I just don't know who it's for who was Romeo and Juliet for? Because it's the same story, right? It's it is Steve, but it's uh, it's not good. It's not done well. Um, it's oh, it's naff. It's just naff. I don't know how anyone could see beyond its naffness. I I can appreciate the staging is is well done. If you're if you're going to the cinema to watch it as a theatre director and going, oh yeah, they've done a good job of doing that. But apart from the technical aspects of that, I. I just don't know what's enjoyable about it, but I'm a miserable old grump, do, I suppose. Do the songs go like Grease style? Because I know there's two gangs, yes. like the Jets and the Sharks. Steve, so they're like it's, corny Grease, like... Yeah, it's worse. Grease is like edgier. They're just like <laughs> right. clicking their fingers and like all wisecracking, you know, <laughs> mother fudgers. You know, it's just, it's insufferable and it's so long and, oh, not not for me, I'm afraid. Uh, others there are i watched a lot of musicals in january and this was maybe my least favorite of the lot there were a couple of i think an, an american in paris with gene kelly was much better than this and perhaps my favorite of all the musicals i watched recently was gigi um which i just thought was lovely lovely musical and the from the late maybe the late 50s or the late 60s but that was really lovely i preferred that much much more than West Side Story and would encourage other people to watch it, whereas I would encourage everyone to steer very clear of West Side Story. Well, I'm looking at the 60s winners here and two two superior musicals, one in the 60s as well, The Sound of Music and My Fair Lady, both of which have yeah. some very good songs in them. So Gigi is, is like a kind of Paris-based My Fair Lady with the same cast, same costume designer, same lots of things, not the same cast, same director and lots of other bits and pieces. A far superior, yeah. It's the fifth best musical of the five musicals I watched. Oh, wow. The 60s was infatuated with musicals. Oliver also won. Oliver, yeah. But there's like five musicals that won in the 60s. Uh, yeah, and Sound of Music, obviously. Yeah, wow. Um. All right. Well, so, yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, that's a that's a thumbs down for West Side Story. I'm going to say. Um, I'm afraid to say it. Um, should we move on to the 70s, Steve? Yeah. This well, the 70s. You know, people say 70s is golden age of film, big decade, big shoes to fill. Steve, uh, I've refu I've refused to name a worst film of the 70s because they're all brilliant. So okay. I'm just not naming a worst one because each of them is magnificent. I would say my hidden gem, if there is such a thing, of all the 70s Best Picture winners is probably Patton because I would say that may be the one that's least viewed of the bunch of them. Patton or Kramer versus Kramer, maybe, which kind of bookend the decade. But Patton's a fantastic war film, fantastically performed. Um, yeah, it's got a kind of very uh, grandiose approach to its hagiography of the general i suppose you would call it but um really well done and yeah lesser watched than the other films of the decade i won't be saying one is the worst and my best film from the 70s it's a very difficult decade to pick one from but i'm going with what is my favorite film of all time and that's the deer hunter um, that's my pick of the bunch i love it yeah 
um, my favorite film so that that wins but any of them would be a, a fair shout that's the best decade i would say of best picture winning decisions yeah there's some really good ones on here one flew over the cuckoo's nest godfather one and two french connection Sing. yeah annie hall um yeah. uh, now would you say i mean i love rocky would you say that i mean taxi driver came runner up to rocky what do you think of that uh, in hindsight i prefer taxi driver but i don't have a problem with rocky winning no i, I don't have a problem with rocky winning um but it's, it's always interesting to see the ones that didn't quite make it oh barry Lyndon was nominated in 75 that's one of my favorite films um, yeah there's there's, there's, a, there's a whole podcast that, of content in which films should you know should yeah. have won there's so many that slip up that's kind um, of why i stuck to just the winners because yeah it's yeah 70 films right but no, that that seventies bunch is very very strong. I haven't seen Patton though, so I would uh, I'll put that on there. It's lovely. Um, straight into the neon day glow buzz of the eighties, Steve. This uh, this was a bit of a strange one. I found it kind of hard to pick, hard to pick a best and a hidden gem really. But I I had no qualms whatsoever with picking a worst film of the best picture winners of the eighties, and this would probably be my runner-up because i i hated west side story but if you like musicals i can see why people may enjoy it but this and the greatest show on earth i can't really find a redeeming feature and this of the worst of the 80s is out of africa an <laughs> absolute slog of a film atrocious i it's kind of it's a it's danish it's a danish epic well based on a danish memoir um and I guess it's an American film. I can't remember who the director is, but Red, Redford up to his old tricks. You've got uh, Meryl Streep up to her old tricks and they're just so hackneyed and it's so incredibly melodramatic and sort of, it's, she sets up a, a plantation or a farm in Africa and there's scope for it to have amazing cinematography. I really didn't feel like it did and it gets lauded for its beautiful cinematography. Every time there was any, you know, a vehicle used, they clearly sat in front of a screen. The opening shots of it start in what's supposed to be rural Denmark and it couldn't more obviously have been a field in Surrey. They didn't even bother to go on locations where it was supposed to be and it kind of retains its plaudits for its beautiful cinematography but it just doesn't have it. It's poorly acted, schlocky, it's about five hours, it felt like it was five hours long. Avoided it like the plague, I hate, hated that film. Um, my hidden gem from the 80s, of which most of the films are quite popular, is Terms of Endearment, if you've seen that. Uh, that was uh, one of the best underappreciated Jack Nicholson performances. He plays a kind of cocksure, washed-up astronaut uh, who's just a bit of a bit of a lad, bit of a cad. Um, and Shirley MacLaine's fantastic in it. She She's in the apartment, which was my sort of runner-up for Hidden Gem from the 60s. And she plays a kind of older character in this and is fantastic. Jeff Daniels plays a kind of chump that does it really well. It's a, it's a weepy. It's a film that your mum would love, let's put it that way. But it's just really, really nicely written. Um, it's by Larry McMurtry, who also wrote Lonesome Dove and... Um, the Last Picture Show and a few other like films that were adapted by the new Hollywood. But it's but it's directed by James L. Brooks, right? Who did yeah, his... James L. Brooks went on to the Simpsons and stuff like that. But yeah, um, he's a great. Yeah. I always love uh, James L. Brooks. His like sensibility and like as good as it gets and stuff like that. I think he's... yeah. So the, the character Jack plays in Jack plays in this is definitely a prototype for his um, his like 
sort of twitchy, glitchy weirdos in the in the nineties kind of thing. But yeah. yeah, he's just super charismatic in everything, but particularly in this film because he's he's playing a bit of a coxman and he's just very enjoyable. So highly recommended. My pick, I didn't really know what to come down on for my best picture of of the eighties. I went with Chariots of Fire, Steve, in a kind of peak of patriotism. <laughs> um, some people loathe that movie that's interesting well, they're, they're, wrong, they're wrong but um, um, it's a great you know what, what more to love about the indomitable spirit of the British Olympic team I'm a I'm a big champion of on this list here uh, the winner in 1984 Armadeus I think is a great really, film really good adaptation of the play about Mozart and if you are at all interested in Mozart it's a fictionalised uh, rivalry but a great film mm, um, yeah. It's weird, isn't it, when you start watching it, you just think, is that supposed to be Mozart with that mental laugh? He's kind <laughs> he of was, a, he was supposed a to have a shrieking he was supposed to have a shrieking childish yeah. laugh and be quite pure like quite scatological humour, yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. kind of watch it and you just think, that can't be right. It took me a while <laughs> to sort of for that to click. But um yeah, so that that's the eighties, Steve. On to the nineties. Oh, again, a fairly fairly difficult one. I think what we've got here. Um, difficult. My, I went in the end. I said the best picture was Schindler's List. Um, mm-hmm. I just came. I came down on that being the best, Strong. mainly so I could. I kind of. It was hard to find a hidden hidden gem as in an underseen film from the nineties because it felt like quite a blockbuster decade really like a lot of cinema attendance and the film's been promoted but another one of my very favorite films i don't imagine that many people have seen it is unforgiven the clint eastwood film i would say that's potentially the best but i feel like schindler had to get a look in as well you know, unforgiven i've heard you pray western i think unforgiven is great as well that's why i thought you were going to plumb for that but but they're both yeah i'd say those two and looking on here silence of the lambs obviously really strong mm. well. i'd yeah, I struggle between those three actually. But. Yeah, I, I just thought they both deserved the shout. Really, Unforgiven for its kind of analysis of the myth making of the West and how we reinvent who we are, and it kind of does that for the cast as much as for the characters, and it's just a great exercise in yeah, yeah, myth making and everything that the cinema is about. Really, and doing that with the Western is kind of for an American film probably the best way to do so um worst i don't know none of them were particularly bad I, I kind of went with shakespeare in love on the basis that i love the film saving private ryan and i don't think shakespeare in love deserves to beat it but it's not it's not bad if you like shakespeare it's kind of good fun um but it, i felt like it was it was quite hard to pick so i said that that was the worst of a fairly good bunch shakespeare in love is one of those films where i i i'm like a defender i enjoy it it's almost <laughs> like a film i would enjoy even more if it didn't if it wasn't celebrated or didn't win anything right, right, it's almost right. like it's a weird film to have won an oscar but it's like yeah. if no one knew about it I'd be like, oh, you should watch Shakespeare in Love. Definitely. It's not bad at all. It's, it's really good fun. Um, but yeah, just in the company that it was in, I was struggling to pick and maybe Braveheart was the other option to go for. But that's also a sort of enjoyable yeah. film to watch. And Shakespeare um, in Love won over Saving Private Ryan, which is a bit controversial. but That is mad, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, but there we go. That was the 90s. Um, into the noughties. God, it, gets, it gets more difficult. I, I plumped... For the best, it's a year of a, a decade of a lot of good years for cinema. I think 2005 and seven particularly strong. And I went with the winner from 2007, No Country for Old Men, which I don't even think was the best film of that year. But um, 
Brilliant. I think it probably is the best film of the best picture winners of the decade. So I, I, I would say No Country for Old Men. I said... Uh, yeah, I definitely the, would have those, yeah. Definitely. The worst film of the decade of the best picture winners, I said Chicago, because it's a musical that I don't really have any emotional connection to, and it's kind of quite lightweight. It's, um, it's quite a short film. It's sort of a bit of a strange one that it, it won in many ways. So if you like musicals, you'll probably enjoy Chicago. I don't enjoy musicals, and I don't really, really get it, but it's sort of well done for what it is. But that was my worst of them, and Hidden Gem gets a bit more difficult to come up with as it gets closer to modern day, but of them went with the Hurt Locker because I don't think it gets watched that much anymore and it's it's an enjoyable film but um there's no not really such a thing as a hidden gem when we get this close I would say yeah um no I think it's a good shout yeah to me no country for old men I mean I would put that of like even one of my favorite films so it'd be quite Mm. hard for anything to beat that for me but obviously Lord of the Rings third one is up there I mean that is I mean, very epic, isn't it? Very epic, yeah. I mean, if you want epic, big cinema, you're not going to get any better than that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And then moving into the 2010, Steve, which is, looking back at it is a pretty diabolical year for Best Picture winners. It's a pretty limp, limp list. I, uh, I couldn't pick a film for Best, really. I went in the end with The Artist because I remember going to the cinema and seeing it and quite enjoying it in the cinema and the way it's sort of revisionary and, I don't know, heartfelt for a, a past that is very different to the 2010s is kind of its redeeming feature. It's the least 2010 of all the films and therefore maybe that's why I liked it. Um, the worst of them, a film I've ranted about plenty of times before, is Spotlight, an underwhelming procedural that should have been an episode of CSI um, mm. or some other, you know, prosaic TV drama. Um, and the hidden gem, if there's such a thing, and I mean, this maybe is a bit of a bizarre one, but Green Book, uh, like you say about Shakespeare in Love, if it didn't have a load of plaudits and didn't have a bit of dilemma and drama about who gets to write that story, it's an enjoyable film with some good performances that tells a story in quite a nice way about a period of time that we've sort of forgotten about. Um, So, yeah, I I didn't dislike Green Book. I wouldn't really say it's a hidden gem, but there's not... Not much to not much to pick from, to be honest. Yeah, and there's ones on there I there's ones on there I liked. Like I did, I did like Birdman. I did like Moonlight. I did like I, I liked Parasite. Um, uh, Parasite would be strong for me on that. But I didn't. Not there's none where I'm like they're not jumping out to me as like special films where they're I, all kind of seven out of ten films, really. Yeah, and I me. know some people really love either Birdman or Moonlight and rate them really highly, but I, I'd say they're all like they're not ones I would return to and Agreed. be like, I need to go and like watch that again. Like I really fancy watching one of those. It wouldn't probably Parasite or Green Book would be the ones that would occur to me to want to see again. Uh, I feel like a lot of them, they're not, none of them are by any stretch of the imagination indie films, really, depending on how you define that. But none of them are really blockbuster films. They all kind of operate in this like mid-tier, mid-budget, mid-scale, you know, they're not these huge epics and they're not like, you know, a tiny Wes Anderson film that snuck its way onto the list. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange decade for films. It's like great directors, like 12 Years a Slave is really well directed. I I don't, it's not like an enjoyable watch. I mean, it's obviously like an extremely heavy, uh, you know, um, Mm. hard watch, but it's, yeah, again, like, like Birdman's really well directed, but 
again, they're, they're just not films that I love. They're just not films that I no, love. No, like 12 Years a Slave doesn't do anything new about a narrative that's been covered, you know. It's, of course, important content, but it, it felt much like other slave narrative films that I've seen. It didn't really bring anything new to that genre, maybe not the right term, but yeah, um, it, it just looks... It looks nice because the settings like, are nice, you know. Yeah, and like Steve McQueen's a really good director, so it like there's some really good like yeah staging and the way he moves the camera and stuff. But but yeah, yeah. Um King's Speech, that's just like a big crowd pleaser, which was was fun, but it's not That's it, that yeah. Instance. Yeah, so yeah, uh, I'm with you there. It's, a, it's quite a poor I I would say it's quite a poor decade in hindsight. I don't think it'll be particularly fondly remembered whereas i feel like the noughties had some really great stuff 70s is the pick of the bunch for sure you know even say the 60s it's got a defining trope right the musical is what five or six of the films whereas with the 10 2010s i don't really know what you'd come down on because the artist is so very different from the others you know it's just a bit of a bit of a hodgepodge of mid-tier films yeah and and there's probably a lot of really good ones that weren't didn't win like the social mm. network or something or yeah you know, um even tree of life was a you know that was in 2011 that's yeah a strong film well steve yeah. i think we've got us got another episode in this to go probably, through the probably have good and should have done yeah. probably have um yeah that's in that's a it's a good shout though i mean you've managed to do all of them there's there's definitely ones in there i need to patch up so Talk me through some of the, just give us a couple of the ones that you haven't seen that you're kind of guilty for not having seen, maybe. Oh, so ones you said, I, well, I haven't seen Brief Encounter. Did that win an Oscar? Is that not an Oscar? Oh, no, that's no. that's a kind of 1940s British film. It didn't win an Oscar. You mentioned One it. of the great British films. I haven't seen Marty. Uh, I haven't seen Bridge on the River Kwai, which is a guilty Ooh, You certainly need to see that. Um I don't actually looking at a best picture winner here. I don't think I've ever seen On the Waterfront, so I should probably. See. Um, yeah, there's a there's a there's definitely a few where I haven't um, that pattern you said. Mm. Terms of um, Endearment, you should certainly the James L. Brooks. Um, I haven't seen seek haven't seen Terms of Endearment, so yeah, I, I've definitely got a few to to grab there. I've actually the modern ones I've seen obviously probably obviously but i've seen a lot more of everything from like 90s ish onwards mm -hmm. um yeah so i'll probably have to go back go cycle back some of it i i do want to watch a lot more films from like the 50s and 60s because i feel like there's a lot of gaps that i'd like to there's some fantastic fantastic stuff i've found better stuff from that kind of older period by sort of latching on to either a director or an actor you know working through hitchcock's films or working through jimmy stewart's films you tend to find a lot of good stuff that way because i kind of picked 1950 onwards as a bit of a date things even before that was great stuff in the 40s and even in the late 30s but they don't seem to maybe match up with the awards in the way that they do more so now it feels a bit more like the studios had more of an agenda but um yeah there's, there's plenty of great stuff back there you just need to do a little bit of truffling around to find it uh, well, marvellous. Any commentary? I mean, I guess you've succeeded in, I mean, your your aim was to watch a lot of films and you have <laughs> you have done that. Um, so uh, what is your, you know, do you think it was worth, is it worth looking at the awards films? Is it sort of just a vehicle to get yourself to explore some things you might not have seen? Like, I think, think so. If, 
it's just an easy one. We've talked about this. So with books, it's just that it's such a good jumping off point. If you need a sort of kick up the arse to start taking in more culture, you probably need a guide to do it. I, I mean, it's the most obvious, obviously Western-centric, but obvious way that films are rewarded and, rewarded and acknowledged by the industry as much as the people that watch them. So it's quite an easy, you know, the film release cycle revolves entirely around the Oscar season. So it's definitely a good way to get into obvious mainstream cinema is just ticking off a lot of those films um yeah, yeah it's a, a sort of self-indulgent thing to have done of course but you know if you enjoy culture it's not a bad way to start you'll also find a lot of hidden gems by just looking at the other nominees in the best picture Absolutely. that's that's stage two right I, I certainly wouldn't prescribe watching all the best picture winners as the best way to find new films but it's it's not a bad list but yeah truffling around the nominated films is is probably a better bet to be honest um yeah well great stuff well, well done well done <laughs> thank you very much um and uh yeah i i actually will share with you i heard a great podcast with edgar wright and quentin tarantino that was just the you recorded the other week and uh they were kind of going through it was a very like long nerdy film geek podcast but Martin Scorsese had given this big list to Edgar Wright of British films he really loved. And, mm. you know, Martin Scorsese is a massive sort of film encyclopedia himself. And he just gave Edgar Wright a massive list of all these very sort of obscure, you know, different pockets of British cinema. And they were sort of Quinton and Edgar were like working, had been working through the list on their own in quarantine and that's really good. Watching all these like British old British movies that Scorsese had recommended. But I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, share that with you and you can, uh, yeah, send me the list. That'd be really good. I, I found Edgar Wright's, um, it's his maybe top 200 films. There's an IMDb list of those, which isn't a bad place to sort of truffle through some recommendations. Yeah, I think um, he did a top thousand even, and they go maybe it's that. a bunch from every year. So um, yeah. yeah, look, Edgar Wright's top film list, you'll find a lot of good ones there as well. Another film I watched recently, just quickly, because you brought up Scorsese, I watched Hugo and I thought it was a bit of a mess. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. Filmed in 3D, so I guess that makes it look naff when you watch it on a laptop, but it was it was pretty poor, I would have to say. It was sort of trying to do a lot and it was trying to be about cinema, but it does it's kind of a lot of style with not not much behind it. The character that film follows that Georges Lumiere, or how you would say his name, he lived on the same street as Proust. That was a nice little way to tie that tie that round. (laughs) Marcel himself. Um, well, all right, let's, let's wrap her up there. I guess we'll, it might be fun at some point soon to, to figure out some new habits. So, uh, we can do that. Well, I, you know what I'm keeping up, I'm going to be keeping up with the exercise one as soon as the snow clears. So I, I'm very happy that that one's locked in because that should be something I carry forward. And, uh, the other ones are more short term goals, but that one feels like a, an actual habit that I will be bringing in day to day. So that's a big win um that's good you got you i got my yoga you and got your moisture and a very moist creamy face slippery slippery <laughs> um yeah well well we've done we've done i think we've done a good start to the year george that's what i feel and i feel that's you know if you're doing that if you're getting 70 percent of those that's kind of the point uh it's kind of the win in itself so 
Um, yeah, set yourself some short little goals. Let us know what they are. Uh, we, uh, well, you can let me know, shussy at gmail.com or at Stephen H. Hussey on Instagram. DM me, let me know. Tell us how much you hate our film recommendations, if you want, or how angry you are with the films we liked and criticised. Um, all right. Should we call it there? Yeah, let's finish this thing. All right. Um, thanks so much, everyone. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye.